Well, it's good to see you. I, I hope you can say the same, but uh, it's certainly good to be back where we belong. Um, grab your Bible, if you will, and open it to the book of Esther. The book of Esther is somewhat difficult to find. It's, um, it's next to Job. So if you can find the Psalms, <clears throat> here again, my wife is caring for me. Um, uh, you can find the Psalms, go left a little, uh, this Job, and then, uh, and then there's Esther, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Two quick announcements. Um, I think you did hear, well, let, let me start the other. With the new members class, I really failed to, to um, remind those in charge while we were away to emphasize the new members class today. That's my fault, um, but there is a new members class today. If you're, um, it, it obligates you to nothing. There's a free lunch, there's free childcare, and um, I should have emphasized it more and I didn't, so forgive me. But we do have one today after the second service. It's in the refuge, which is the middle uh, school student place of worship. Now, that's this afternoon or this, after the second service. The other thing is this. You did hear that we will not be meeting this Wednesday night. Uh, we normally meet on Wednesday nights, as you know, but this is Holy Week. And so we, in lieu of Wednesday night, we move it to Thursday night. It's called Monday Thursday. It's, um, it's a night of weeping as uh, we celebrate or remember the night that Christ was betrayed, arrested, and tried. And we have the Lord's Supper this coming Thursday night. So it's at 6.30. We'll have a little dessert for you afterwards. Hope you'll come be with us. It's a very sacred evening, uh, very um, contemplative, serene so come be with them. And by the way, I, I, it was a surprise to me. We're offering childcare for the first time. That's a, that's a real plus too. So come be with us Thursday night. Now, um, let me read to you from the book of Esther, which is not exactly um, in the top 10 um, of um, people's favorite books. But I want to read you at beginning in, in, in chapter 9, beginning at uh, verse 23. So you follow as I read. That which is inerrant, um, and it reads like this. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pure, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king... He gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they call these days Purim after the term pure. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail... They would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fail into, never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God this word endures forever. Now, guys, my sermon this morning is not about my trips to Israel. The sermon this morning is not about 
the Purim, the festival of Purim. Really, my um, sermon this morning is not even about the book of Esther. It is, but, but primarily, my sermon this morning is about God. Imagine that, a sermon about God. Uh, but it's only about one of his attributes, one of his many attributes. And what I want to discuss with you this morning is the providence of God. Well, what's that? The providence of God. Well, stay tuned. And hopefully uh, before we're done here today, you will be able to answer your own question as to what it is, what, what providence, what we mean when we discuss the providence of God. Gang, while we were in Israel, at least um, the first troop, uh, the first group, I think you know there were two groups that came to Israel. But when the first group was there, Israel was celebrating this festival that I just read you about, Purim. Purim was being celebrated in Israel, in Jerusalem, on uh, March the 21st and 22nd. And we were in Jerusalem while it was being celebrated. Um, and our group, uh, after a whole day of touring at night, they were out in it. They were out in this festival on the streets of Jerusalem um, called Purim. Um, and one of the members of that group said it resembled our American Halloween because all the kids were dressed up in costumes and even the, the, the adults were dressed up in costumes and the streets were crowded with people celebrating this event that I just read you about, Purim. Um, you know, it, it, um, one of the requirements of the celebration was that the book of Esther in all 10 chapters was to be read all over Israel on, <coughs> on those two nights. The whole book was to be read. One, of, one part of our group that was out in the streets of Jerusalem we're in a restaurant just having, you know, falafels and, and, and um, schnitzels. And um, there was somebody in the restaurant, appointed by the restaurant, standing there reading the book of Esther while everybody was trying to enjoy their meals. Our group, being the spiritual people that we are, we lasted for three chapters and then left. <laughs> but uh, it's, the, the book is ten chapters, but uh, we, we lasted for three and... Um, but the, the, the point is that the, the story of, Mort, uh, of Esther is to be read during Purim all over the land. Now, if you, if you don't know this story, you're somewhat disadvantaged this morning, but I'm going to try to help you and give you some of the highlights of the story. The story, of course, contains a bad guy. His name was Haman. He was an Agagite. That is, he was the descendant of Agag, who Saul was supposed to have put to death, but he didn't. And as a result, the Agagites uh, continued on. But Haman was second in, in authority only to the king of Persia. It was his plan, Haman's plan, to eradicate all the Jews everywhere. And in Israel today, when the story is read, um, every time the name Haman is mentioned, everybody boo, boos Haman. And when the names of Mordecai or Esther are mentioned, Everybody applauds and, and, and claps. Um, well, if you know anything about how the story ends, um, it ends up with Haman being hanged on the very gallows 
that Haman had built to hang Mordecai on. But Mordecai didn't get hung. Haman does. It's It's a classic case of a villain who falls into his own pit. Now, um, that may be the story of the book, but that is not the message of the book. The message of the book of Esther has to do with the providence of God, whose name, that is God's name, by the way, is never mentioned, not one time in the book is the name of God found in the book anywhere. Which brings us back to the question, what is providence? Well, the word uh, has a prefix pro, which means before. The root of the word is video, which means to see, and the word literally means to see before. When we speak of God's providence, We are speaking of God's governance. That God is always personally involved with his creation in sustaining and preserving it. Everything that takes place takes place under God's control. Now, guys, we could spend the rest of the week showing you that claim throughout this book. But I want to read you at least this. This is Ephesians 1 verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, listen, who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. The idea that God works all things according to the counsel of his own will is providence. We have statements like this made um, in the, uh, this, this several times. This is uh, Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's stated again in chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You may remember in the, in the New Testament, there's a, in the book of James, Uh, In chapter 4, there's this uh, little paragraph in there about the man who says, well, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to go to such and such a city, and I'm going to go to such and such a place, and I'm going to engage in such and such an occupation, and I'm going to make such and such a profit. And that man is rebuked by the author of James, and he says, no, 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 you should have said, if the Lord wills, you will go to such and such a place and do such and such a thing and make such and such a profit. Because there's all kinds of plans in the minds of men, but it is the Lord's plans that are established. Gang, um, God's providence includes things like weather, outlined in Job 38, verses 22 through 30. Things like food, Uh, Psalm 145, verse 15. Even sparrows, say Jesus in Matthew 10. They don't fall to the ground without him knowing about it. Because they are included in the plans of this providential God. Kings, it is mentioned in, um, in Proverbs 21. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it whithersoever he wills. Uh, they're kingdoms. If you've ever taken my systematics class, I tell you there that one of my favorite, if not my favorite statement in all of the Bible is found in the book of Daniel. Comes out of the mouth of a, of a, 
of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says this, for his, his dominion, that is God's dominion, is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody withstands this God and says, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? Because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Not Nebuchadnezzar's. There's lots of plans of man, but he, his will is what is established. God has a plan for me that extends to every detail of my life. He has a plan for his church that stretches from eternity to eternity. That's providence. And if that's a little bit too much for you to swallow, then I would suggest that you need to stop all that talk about believing in an omnipotent God or an omniscient God. Because if he's not what I just told you, he's not omnipotent and he's not omniscient. Now, what does that have to do with the book of Esther? Gang, the book of Esther is not a book describing a Jewish festival or giving you the details of Purim. The book of Esther depicts how and why Jews survived such an overwhelming existential threat to their existence that is authored by Haman. And even though God is never mentioned in this book of Esther, God is the main character of the book. His fingerprints are everywhere in this book. Let me show you. Chapter 1, the, uh, the downfall of the Queen Vashti. You remember her? Um, Ajaharis is the big king, the big Persian king, and it says that he rules over 127 provinces, but he doesn't control his wife. So she says, I'm not doing what you said. And so she's deposed. And so they had this big, elaborate beauty contest. And, and of all these beautiful maidens in all of Persia, 127 provinces, Esther is chosen. Esther, the Jew, the Jewess is chosen. Huh, how about, what a, what a marvelous coincidence that, that that is. And then, of course, in chapter 2, Mordecai, her uncle, um, that is Esther's uncle, overhears a conversation that is being had by two servants in the house of the king who were plotting his assassination. He then reports that to the officials, and, and the officials find out that it's true, and those two men are hanged. And then one night um, in chapter 6, we're told that one night, all oh, the king just couldn't sleep. He had a little bit of insomnia. It just so happened in the, in the sixth chapter that, uh, you know, Asher Harris couldn't sleep. And so he says to his servants, how about you guys going out and getting the book of all the great deeds that have been accomplished in, in this kingdom and reading them to him? Maybe that'll put me to sleep. So they go out and get their books and they start reading to him. 
And in there is the story about Mordecai who reported the two guys that were about to assassinate the king. And the king says, Whatever, what, what did we ever do for that guy? Did we ever give him anything? I mean, did we ever honor him anyway? And he said, no, 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 king, nothing's been done for him. And, and, and at that exact moment, who walks in the door but Haman, the bad guy. And uh, the king says to Haman, Haman, um, what should we do for somebody that the king really desires to honor? And so Haman's thinking, well, who should he want to honor besides me? And so he, he shows this elaborate, he, he details this elaborate plan. He says, that's a great idea. You go do that for Mordecai. The one that you built the gallows. By the way, the king didn't know about the gallows. You know, the very gallows that you built for this Mordecai, I want you to go honor him. And so then Mordecai gets involved with his, uh, his niece and says, you got to go tell the king what's going on here because all the Jews are going to die. And, and, and so they, uh, the, the queen meets with the king and she lays this out and there's Haman sitting there, the bad guy. And uh, he knows he's in trouble. His whole plot begins to unravel. And so the king is so upset with this whole thing that he, he storms out of the room. He goes out into his garden. He wants to walk around and calm down a little bit. And, 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 and he comes back into his, his, uh, the room there. And at the exact moment of his entrance, Haman flings himself on the queen, Esther. And the king says, my gosh, are you going to insult my wife too? And he says, take this man out and hang him on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Just some marvelous coincidences, huh? No, ladies and gentlemen, that's a book about the providences of God. You see, gang, gang, the deliverance of the Jews in the book of Esther is vastly different from the deliverance of the Jews from Egypt under Moses. You remember that one back in Exodus? The parting of the Red Sea and all those 12 miracles about the frogs and the fleas and all that business. In Esther, there are no miracles. There are no special revelations. There are no signs. There's no prophet leader like, like in, uh, in the Exodus. There's no special anything. God is not even mentioned in the book of Esther And yet, listen to me, when God is most hidden, he is still working. He is still present. He is still there to protect and deliver his people. That's what we call Providence, providence on display in the book of Esther. You know, guys, if you were to ask the people who went on these trips to Israel, I bet you every one of them or each couple could tell you a story of some coincidence, some piece of providence that, had, that they had tasted while they were away or even on the trip itself. One of the things that I enjoy most about these trips is that I get to, I get to hear a lot of those stories. We're together all day. 
We start very early in the morning. We're on the bus at 7.15 and we're done at 5. And then we're eating supper together. And, and I hear these stories. I get to hear their stories. I get to hear the, the marvelous pieces of providence unf- that have been unfolded in their lives, even, either in the past or in the present. And I would love for you to hear them. But to tell them would take much too long. But let me tell you, let me tell you mine. Um, As most of you know, there were two trips, two groups of people who came to Israel. We had finished with the first group. And um, we were awaiting the arrival of the second group and they had four days in between to do our wash, to try and catch our breath. And um, the group had just left and we had just moved from one hotel into this funky little place that we found, that I found, uh, where the the washing machine and dryer were outside. Go figure. Anyway, uh, we just moved into this place. And so we we were unpacking and trying to set up shop for the next four days. And one of the interesting things about being on this trip is that, um, you know, in these buses, they have have these racks where you put all your backpack and all that stuff. And, And you can't imagine how many CPAP machines were on those buses. There, there must have been seven on each bus. Well, one of them was my wife's, who has sleep apnea and, and is a, a, has a breathing issue. And um, so we get to the hotel, or the little funky little place, and she's beginning to unpack, and she realizes that she's missing a cord, a cord that goes from the wall to the little block that goes to the machine. And we panic. She gets on the WhatsApp and begins to call Karen Jordan and, and Chris Carroll. And where, where can we find this thing? And where, we got to get it. And can you get it to the other people so they can bring it over here? They're, they're leaving tomorrow. Can you? Where, are we, are we, and Chris Carroll says, it's a, it's a simple uh, cord. It's all over the, you know, you can find them at Best Buy. Well, we don't have a Best Buy. <laughs> um, I mean, can you, can you get this cord? You know, and, and so we're, we're just, and at that point, and, and I, I, I hope, she doesn't, I mean, I mean, my wife just craters. And so did I. This is a mess. And so um, she doesn't sleep at all that night. I slept very little. But uh, early that next morning, I hit the streets. And um, I find a, a mall. Um, I don't know down there it wasn't open yet I got there about five minutes to nine and it didn't open till nine thirty. so I, uh, I at least get into the mall the stores don't open till nine thirty. and so I start looking around for a store that possibly I can find this cord and um I find this store called iMobile and I thought well okay well that, you know so I waited till nine thirty. their doors open and I walk in and and I get the guy who can speak some English, and I, I said, um, I show him what I need. Here's the thing. goes right in here, but it goes in the wall. I mean, I need this cord. And he said, oh, um, we don't have those. But there's a, story, there's a store up on the third floor that might. And, and um, I forget the name of the store, but we're just going to call it Desada. It was D-something. Um, the store up on the third floor, Desada, they've got them. I said, oh, great. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's good news. So uh, I run up to the third floor. And this store is not open yet. It doesn't open until 10. 
And so it's 1035, but I mean, it's 935. And so it's okay. It's, you know, there's a, there's a court in there and I just went busy myself about. And so I'm walking around, just looking around. Most of the stores are open and there's this store. And I took Susie back to it later. And I, I, I still can't tell you what kind of store it is. It was either an office supply store or an art store. They had, they had magic markers and, you know, they had all kinds of things in the store. They had art supplies in this store. But it had caught my eye and, and I went in there. And there was a man who, of course, spoke Hebrew and a little bit of English. And I showed him what I needed. And he said, um, wait one minute. He goes in the back of his store. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, he wasn't back there 90 seconds. He comes back out with a cord. It's got rubber bands all around it, and I take the rubber bands off, and I, I plug it into the little socket, and it fits. And so I go to the outlet to plug it in to see if it drives the machine. And it works. And I'm saying, oh, Oh, absolutely wonderful. And I go to the, the catcher and I said, how much you want? I mean, what, what do you want? I mean, how much, you, how much, how much is it? I, mean, I, I just start pulling out credit cards and cash and shekels and everything. How much is it? He says, nothing. I just happen to have it. No, you didn't. God gave you that. For me. That cord was sitting on that man's desk in his back room. Waiting. For me to come through that door and get it. Because the God of all grace had once again delivered his people. I took it back home and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Guys, Christians are not asked to observe the festival of Purim. We're not asked to in go out and celebrate Purim every March. But what we are asked to do is to enjoy the beauties and the glories of God's providence. A God who is not evilly intended towards us. And though this whole idea of his providence may be new to you, let me tell you there's a couple of ways, a couple of areas where you're going to need to apply it. First, why is it that we even exist? I'm not talking about creation. I'm talking about the Christians and the Christian church. How is it that she still exists Folks, we're not living in a post-Christian world. We're living in an anti-Christian world. Um, 
how is it that the church has survived this long when so many people hate the message of exclusive salvation in Christ Jesus? I'll tell you why, She's like, while we're still around. Because there is no power in the universe that is leveled against Christians and Christianity that can ultimately prevail. Governments can be indifferent towards us or even hostile to us, as you find right now going on in the West. But all of that offense, all of that opposition will never succeed in stamping out the message of Jesus saves. And, and while the events that take place that are so concerning to us in so many ways, the events that, that, that follow their normal course with little or no evidence of the, um, of the interventions of God on our behalf, according to the book of Esther and to the rest of the New Testament, God calls his people to trust him, to take courage, to rely on a God who says, there's all kinds of plans of man, but the only one that matters is mine. That's one place where you might want to apply his providence. Let me tell you about another. Paula, where are you? Guys, um, when I got back to the room with the cord, um, one of the things that Susie and I began to enjoy and celebrate is a hymn that we've sung, we've known. Um, and, and let me, as an aside, say to you, one of the joys of these Israel trips is the places where we sing together, where we gather as a group and sing. We, we gathered in one place and, the, and the, some guy opened the door and said, shut up and go away. <laughs> and there we were singing. And with a little group gathered around and I'm in the center leading and I don't know where notes are. You know, I've even thought about doing this. I'm not going to. I think it would be unworkable and un, unmanageable. But I've, I, I had thought about asking you all to leave your pews and come down and let's gather in a circle and sing. Because that's one of the sweetest things that we do in Israel. But the song that came to our mind is a song that was written by William Cooper, who was a very melancholy sort himself, tried to kill himself on a couple of occasions. But he wrote a song. He wrote a song that has some words in it. And if you'd like to look, in fact, I'd like for you to look at the words. There's a hymnal in your pews. It's on page 128. And we're going to sing it in a minute, but I want, you to, I want you to know that the melody, don't try to read the music off here. Paula, who is a musical genius, wrote a melody that I gave her that I found on a YouTube. But this is... Actually, let me show you the specific words that came to mind when, when, when I came home with the, uh, with the cord. 
Um, they're, they're in verse 3. Um, <clears throat> no, they're in verse 4. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. You want to know one place that you can apply God's providence? It's in those times when you think that providence is frowning on you. Ladies and gentlemen, the same providence that smiles on you is the providence that you think frowns on you. And the, and the, the hymn writer is saying, behind that thing that we define as a frowning providence is a smiling face. Look at, look at verse 5 with me. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste. But sweet. Sweet will be the flower. My brother and sister in Christ, you need to know that. You need to know that though the bud has a bitter taste to it, that sweet will be the flower. You need to know that the God that you call your Father in heaven is the God that governs and manages and controls every event that crosses your path. And he has no desire to hurt you. And behind what you consider a frowning providence is the smiling face of your Father in heaven. You know, guys, I think that so many of us think that the Christian life is for our enjoyment. It's for our entertainment. And every time you ask that question, why me? It's as if you're asking God to explain himself to you. Ladies and gentlemen, the question is not why me? The question is, will you trust that that frowning providence, that behind it, is a smiling face. Can you? Will you? Because you may need to right at this moment. Guys, we're about to sing this and I'm gonna lead it and it's gonna be a mess. I don't know which note to get on and it's okay, okay? And I'll tell you something else. When I'm in Tel Aviv looking for this song, I, found, I find a rendition that is not in our hymnal. I brought it to, there's a refrain that Paul and I are gonna sing to you. It's not in your hymnals. 
Paul and I are going to sing a duet <laughs> with my apologies to Paula. But can, can I read it to you? This is the refrain that's not in the, that Cowper, Cooper did not write this. Listen to this. God of mercy, God of, you know what? We don't have to do it, Paula. We've got the words up there. Y'all can sing it with us. God of mercy, God of grace, give us eyes to see. Eyes to see your smiling face within the mystery. best thing that I could do for you this morning is ask God to give us those eyes that see a smiling face. In the midst of the mysterious circumstance in which you find yourself. So guys, we're going to sing stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 5. You can read them from the hymnal, but the Melody will be different. Or they'll be on the screen for you. But ladies and gentlemen, in your mind's eye, gather around me and let's sing something that is profoundly rich about a bitter bud but a sweet flower about a, something that we thought was a frown. But when that chord showed up, we knew there was a smiling face. And in the midst of your loss or disappointment right now, my brother and sister in Christ, it might look like he's frowning behind that is a smiling face. We're going to sing. I'm going to pronounce the benediction. We're going to go home. Won't you stand? I'll do my best.